Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. We want to welcome in our Lake County campus. Always happy to have you folks with us. And those of you who are joining us online from wherever you are around the world, we're thrilled that you're with us here today. You know, the single largest celebration in the entire world every year is the result of what happened on the holiest night in history, the night that Jesus was born. Most holidays get just a single day, Thanksgiving, Fourth of July, President's Day, Memorial Day. But Christmas, as you know, really gets an entire month. Billions of people around the world adjust their normal schedules and so they can decorate their homes and send greeting cards and buy gifts and go to parties and attend special church services and sing special songs and travel long distance to be with their loved ones. It really is, Christmas, it really is for most people the most wonderful time of the year. But here's what's mind-blowing about it. All this commotion is caused by the birth of a baby who entered the world on the floor of a stable through the womb of a teenager and in the presence of a peasant carpenter. This single event still causes commotions some 2,000 years after the fact. The birth of Jesus causes traffic jams even today in places like New York City and Paris and Tokyo. Every time you get your phone out to look at your calendar or to plan an event or to make an appointment, you're using Jesus' birth as your reference point. In fact, all of humanity is divided by his birth. Every event is dated by how many days and how many years it's separated from the most holiest night in history. In fact, your birthday is dated by his birthday. Now, the Bible's account of Jesus' birth places him in the little town of Bethlehem, where a small group of shepherds were caring for their sheep. Looking up at the stars that night, nothing seemed out of place. Nothing seemed unusual. It was just an ordinary night until it wasn't. And then what happened next changed everything in their lives and in your life as well. The world would never be the same. And so the Gospel of Luke tells the story you're seeing right now on the screen. It shares for us the historical account of Jesus' birth. There were shepherds living out in the fields, Luke says, nearby, watching, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring to you good news that will be joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God. And saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And that clip you just saw was from the show, The Chosen, just as a reminder of what it must have been like for those shepherds that night. You know, for the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Christmas Soundtracks. 
And we've been looking at some of our most favorite Christmas songs. The first week, Pastor Dustin, he uh, told us uh, a little bit about the song, Do You Hear What I Hear? What a great message he had. And last week, Pastor John highlighted Elvis's hit, Blue Christmas. I was only disappointed that he did not wear a white jumpsuit with some, <laughs> some studs on it. <clears throat> Both were powerful teachings about turning down the negative soundtracks in our lives that we often listen to inside of our heads and turning up the soundtracks of truth so we can more easily hear God and know God and follow God and, and love God. And so today, as you've been told, we're going to look at one of the most cherished Christmas carols of all time, and it's my personal favorite, probably for some of you as well, O Holy Night. The words to this song were written by a Frenchman in 1843, and it instantly became a, 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 a popular hit, but it created controversy because the man who was asked to pen the poem that later became the song ultimately defected from the church. And the composer of the music, he was said to be an unbeliever as well. So for these reasons, early on, the song was banned by the Catholic Church in France for more than two decades, it wasn't allowed to be played in the church. But it was so loved by the people, this song, that it was often sung privately. And eventually, it was accepted back into the church. Now, some are shocked by those details. You know, a man who defected from the church and somebody who wasn't even a follower of Jesus wrote this song. But you see, for me, this doesn't detract from the beauty of the song. In fact, it actually enhances it because it shows that the gospel message is so powerful, it can come through imperfect people. You know, at Journey, we often say, everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. And when we say those words, we're acknowledging that God uses, always uses imperfect people to share the story of Jesus. You know, the shepherds, well, they weren't perfect. They were far from it. The, the wise men may have been wise, but they weren't perfect. Mary and Joseph, they followed God's call. They listened to his will, but they were not without their faults and their sins too. And the apostle Paul says it like this in the New Testament. We have this treasure. The treasure is the gospel. It's the news of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay, we are the jars of clay, fractured and broken and misshaped people so that the all-surpassing power may be demonstrated to be from God and not from ourselves. You know, a few years after the song was written, an American named John Sullivan translated it from French into English, and it quickly found favor in the American churches, especially in the churches up north during the Civil War. So let's take a quick look at some of the lyrics, and I think you'll see why the song, O Holy Night, has become one of the most cherished songs of all time. So we're going to look real quickly at the first verse. It goes like this. Sing it along with me. No, I'm just kidding. No, no. It goes like this. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worst. These are powerful words that remind us that in Jesus, we have a reason for hope. These words from this song remind us that it's in Jesus and in him alone that we have a reason for hope. 
I'm going to say something now that's not really very popular. I'm not going to make any new friends with what I'm about to tell you. But when I say these words, unless you're in total denial of reality, you will not be able to disagree that they are true. They're not feel-good words. I'm here to warn you. They're convicting and they're personal. And so here we go. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar. Now, those are not my words, by the way. They come from from God through the apostle John's letter in the New Testament. Even still, our culture dismisses the idea here that we are somehow sinful or immoral or wrong. But scripture makes it clear that everyone has sinned and separated themselves from a a loving relationship with God. But no one likes to hear that truth. I don't like to hear that truth. You don't like to hear that. We don't like that truth. But even fewer people like to talk about it. Have you ever noticed that the word sin seems to be unofficially banned in most most circles? It's It's rarely even mentioned in some churches. When was the last time you heard the word sin in a sentence that wasn't in a sermon? That's my point. And just to prove my point, maybe later today when you're out and about, use the word sin in a sentence somewhere and watch the awkward reactions. But according to the song, and more importantly, according to God's word, each of us is wallowing in sin and error. And as a result, we have this yearning, this this longing, or as the song says, a, a pining to be freed from the guilt caused by our disobedience to God. But that's not all. We also have a deep longing to find healing for our sin-sick soul because we've damaged ourselves spiritually by sin and we instinctively know that something inside of us is is wrong. There's a void, there's a a space, there's there's a hole in our heart that needs to be filled with something more than what this world has to offer. Jesus, my friends, was born for this purpose to make it possible for you and for me to find forgiveness and healing for what is a fractured soul. The Bible uses words like this, regeneration and new birth, new creation, born again, spiritual resurrection, to describe the heart change that faith in Jesus brings to us. Think of it like this. Imagine you run a stop sign and you crash your car and break your leg. Now, you have two problems. The first is a legal problem, right? You're you're guilty, you ran the stop sign, you're guilty of of breaking the law. And this is gonna require you or or someone else, some other gracious person to to pay a penalty for breaking the law. The second problem is is a medical issue. Your, your leg your leg is broken. And this is going to require a doctor or a surgeon to, to treat your injury, to repair, to fix what is broken. And the Bible tells us similarly that sin has two devastating consequences to our lives. Two. The first is sin makes us guilty. We've broken God's law. And the Bible says the wages of sin is, is death. And this is a legal issue that we have to we have to clear up with our heavenly father. The second problem is this. Sin makes us spiritually sick. It causes us to have a sinful heart. We have, we're now bent towards rebellion. You ever find in your life that it's easier to do the wrong thing than the right thing? 
We're bent towards rebellion because of sin. The prophet Jeremiah sums it up like this. He says, because of sin, the heart is more, de- more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. The good news in all of this is that the gospel of Jesus solves both issues. Jesus pays our penalty on the cross, satisfying our legal obligation, and then he gives us this amazing gift, the Holy Spirit, to help our sin-sick soul, which allows us to live with power and strength far beyond our natural selves. This is the gospel, my friends. And it's for this reason, these two reasons, that Jesus' birth is the greatest celebration the world has ever known. That's why so many people make such a big deal about it, because Jesus' birth helps fix these two problems. You see, without his birth, there would be no cross. And with no cross, there would be no sacrifice. With no sacrifice for sin, there would be no opportunity for salvation. It all begins with the birth of Christ. And this, my friends, is why we can't help but tell everyone we know the good news about the holiest night in history. Imagine, imagine you're a, a passenger on the Titanic. And in the middle of the night, an angel appears to you says the ship's hit an iceberg and we're taking on water fast and we're going to sink in a few hours. Get to a lifeboat, there's still room and another ship will come in a few hours and rescue you. If, if you believed the angel, if that happened, you believed the angel, what would you do? Well, you would get to a lifeboat if you believed the angel and you would persuade to the best of your ability anybody you cared about to join you. And your message would not be a message of condemnation and gloom your message to them would be a message of reality. This is what's happened. And here's our only hope. You know, the Bible says the world and its desires will pass away. They'll one day be gone. But the person who does the will of God lives forever. Christmas is not some bedtime story about a baby born in poverty who grew up and influenced the world. That's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is the true diagnosis of the human condition. We're spiritually wrecked and we need rescuing. That's what Christmas is about. Now, most of us know the most famous verse in the whole Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But we're not as familiar with the next two verses So I want to put them on the screen and have you read them out loud with me together. Let's just read these together. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. You see, the entire reason for Christmas is that God wants to spend eternity with you. He loves you so much that he came to earth as a person so that you could get to know him and learn to trust him and ultimately fall in love with him. Therefore, the song says, fall on your knees and hear the angel voices, O night divine, when Christ was born. And this chorus, this is the chorus of the song, And above all, it teaches us this, that we must have a reverence for God. We must have a reverence for God. You know, I have a, we have a small nativity scene in our living room in our home. And it's it's just a small one. And it sits sits right there prominently in our living room. But the weird thing about it is um, the shepherds are standing. And 
I think that on that holy night, when they came to the place where Jesus was born, I think they would have, I think they would have kneeled. And, you know, because there's, this, there's a proper po- protocol, right? When you're in the presence of royalty, there's a, there's a proper way of handling that situation. And when we come into the presence of God, we ought to, we ought to have an awesome reverence for, for who he is. I remember in the scriptures, God told Moses, he said, take off your shoes for this is holy ground that you're standing on. And he told the Israelites at Mount Sinai, don't touch the mountain or you will die because it's a sacred mountain. And the Bible says when we come into God's presence, we ought to be joyful. That's no doubt about that. But we ought not come too casually because he's all powerful and we are weak. He is omniscient. We are limited in our intelligence. He's holy and we are sinful. He's the ultimate judge and we are the ones who have been accused. You know, there's a small cathedral outside of Bethlehem and it marks the traditional birthplace of Jesus. And just behind the large altar that's in this, that's in this cathedral, there's, a, there's another opening that goes into a small cave that's lit by lamps. And this cave is the supposed birthplace of Jesus. It's just a, it's a traditional site. And they built a church over it. And when you enter into the main cathedral, you can look around and admire the ancient architecture, no doubt. But you can also enter the small cave where there's a star engraved on the floor that signifies the supposed birthplace of Jesus. And there is, however, one important stipulation if you go into the cave. If you go into the cave, you first have to bow or kneel. You can't get into the cave without doing that. The door is so low, you you can't go in standing up. You have to bow in reverence to the king of kings. And the same is true if you meet Jesus today. You you can see the world standing tall, but if you want to have an encounter with Christ the Savior, you have to get on your knees. And that's why the writer of Psalms says this, in reverence will I come into your house and bow down to your holy temple. That's why the writer of the, the Psalms reminds us that in God's presence, there's a proper protocol Now, the chorus, this is the chorus, may refer to to the wise men who came to see Jesus eventually from the Orient. And imagine these wealthy wise men, experienced travelers kneeling down before some baby they didn't even know. But they understood the proper protocol when you're in the presence of the King of Kings. And when you look at a nativity scene and you understand who he is and why he came and what it cost him, you too will fall on your knees in reverence and gratitude. So I took the shepherds of the nativity scene in my house and I just knocked them over. (laughs) Now they're not only on their knees, they're on their faces, right? And I think that's even better than kneeling. The last verse of the song, O Holy Night, goes like this. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. And here, I think the writer of the song is teaching us something that Jesus said, which is we are to always love one another. The reason John Sullivan liked this song so much and translated it into English was because he was a passionate abolitionist. He, um, he hated slavery for the evil, sinful behavior that, that it is, and he really liked these lyrics. 
He liked the lyrics that say, chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppressions shall cease. This is one of the reasons this idea is why he translated it into English. It's why the song became so popular in in the North during the Civil War, because it spoke against slavery. It reminded us that Jesus came to break down the barriers between God and humanity, but he also came to break down the barriers between people. Paul says something similar in the book of Galatians. He says, in Christ there is no Jew or Greek, no slave or free, no male or female. We're all one in Jesus Christ. Think about that first Christmas when Jesus was born. There were shepherds, poor and uneducated. There were eventually magi who were wealthy and wise. And even last week we spoke about the elderly, including Anna, 84 years old, the Bible says, who met Jesus as a newborn in the temple. And there was Simon, an old prophet, who were privileged to see this new king. So that first Christmas included the rich and the poor and the Gentiles and the Jews and men and women and old and young. And you see, God's love reaches out to all walks of life. No one was excluded then and no one is excluded today. The story is told after the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln invited a former slave to the White House and he served a, a cup of hot tea and hot, it came with a saucer. And uh, the slave, former slave, uh, had never seen a saucer before and he didn't really know what to do with it. So as the story goes, he awkwardly poured some of the tea from his cup into the saucer and he drank from the dish. Lincoln, not wanting him to be embarrassed, took some of his tea, poured it in the saucer, and he too drank from it as well. Which illustrates, I think, in a loving way, the words of the song, the slave is our brother. You see, the apostle John says it like this, dear friends, since God loved us, we ought to love one another. On Christmas Eve, 1906, for the first time in history, a man's voice was broadcast over the airwaves. It's the beginning of radio. Reginald Pheasanton was his name. He was a university professor, and he spoke into a microphone, and radio was born. Do you know what the first words ever spoken on radio were? He read this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census, or that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, you may recognize that. That's the first verse of the story of Jesus' birth from the Gospel of Luke, chapter chapter 2, verse 1. Radio operators were shocked. (laughs) Astonished telegraph operators at newspapers were stunned because usually they heard the Morris code beeps over tiny little speakers But when they heard all of a sudden the voice of this professor reading the gospel of Luke, they must have been absolutely floored. It it, it must have seemed to like them, it was a miracle hearing a voice transmitted from so far away. The professor was not aware of the sensation he was causing. And after finishing reading Luke's narrative, he read the whole thing. He picked up his violin and he played a song. And the first song ever played over the airways You want to take a guess? Oh, holy night. And since that rendition was the first time it had ever been heard, only by a handful of people over the radio, oh, holy night has gone on, as you probably know, to be one of the most 
well-loved, most recorded, most played Christmas songs of all time. This incredible work, requested by a forgotten Catholic priest, written by a struggling poet, composed by an unbeliever and brought to America by, to serve as a tool to spotlight the sinfulness of slavery and tell the story of the Savior. It has grown to become one of the most beautiful, inspiring, and truthful songs ever recorded. And we've been blessed to sing it here today. I'm going to ask you to bow with me and let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for your love. So grateful that we have the opportunity to know you and to serve you and to be the recipients of of your grace. We see your grace in all of the places of our lives, but especially in those areas where we need to to turn, turn ourselves over to you. We know we can't save ourselves, and it's through your love, your grace, through the cross, through this act of humility that we find our our salvation. Thank you for Jesus and who he was and what he did and help us to fall deeper in love with him every day. We're so grateful for the songs that remind us of the truth of who you are. May this holiday season, may our joy be found in those songs, but may our joy be found in the gospel of Christ. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible.